Thank you, Jesus. Now I can preach. Hallelujah. Now I can teach. I felt a release there. Okay, get your Bibles. We're going on a journey for the next few minutes and for the next few weeks. Today we're starting a journey. And the journey begins in the book of Genesis, and it actually ends in the book of Revelation. But I promise you that although I could, I'll not preach from every book in the Bible today. When we're talking about prayer, you can find an example, you can find uh, guidance and strength related to the issue of prayer in every book of the Bible. Following me? You can find instruction, direction, understanding, wisdom, guidance related to communion and communication with God in every book of the Bible. That's how they got here. How the books of the Bible, last week I preached, every, uh, that, that this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every book of the Bible came out of a communion relationship with God. Every single one of them. And uh, so anyway, I could go into every book in the Bible and I can teach you on prayer. I promise I won't do that this morning. Um, Some of y'all are saying, wait, my pot roast. My reservations at the restaurant, the Baptist will get them. Oh, Lord, don't let the honorees get on me today. Okay, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 8. What we're going to do is I'm going to go through some of the books of the Bible, and I'm going to draw out some scripture to talk to you about the priority of prayer. When you become a believer and when, when you come to Jesus and when you are seeking God in your life, Nothing will be accomplished in your relationship with him outside of the context of prayer. So every believer needs to give some focus to the idea of the priority of prayer. And so before we look at the prayer life of Jesus over the coming weeks, I wanted to just lay a foundation here and talk to you about the priority of prayer, the priority of prayer in the heart of God and why the scripture says so much about it. And so we're just, what I decided to do was we're just going to go through some some different places within scripture, starting with Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. The first place that you see a good biblical expression of prayer or of communion with God is here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, and we get a picture from this experience with Adam and Eve. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, this was, this was in between the time that Adam and Eve sinned and the time that they had a discussion with God about it. But the indication here and the picture that we get from Scripture is that God and Adam and Eve had met together every day in the garden. It was customary for Adam and Eve to spend time with God. It was customary for God to spend time with Adam and Eve. The reason that we know that it was customary is not because Scripture says, and every day God came to the garden. It doesn't say that. But it tells us that God came in the cool of the day, and it's clear that they were expecting him because now they've sinned and they're hiding from him. 
So we can surmise from this passage of Scripture that Adam and Eve and God had spent many days in the cool of the day communing in the garden. That it was God's custom. It is God's custom to come and spend time in communion with his kids. There's... There is, I, I tell you, uh, we, we go to lunch at, at times uh, on Sunday afternoon with folks from the church, and, and, and we go and we have meetings during the week with, with different individuals, and we have, uh, yesterday we were in Reno for uh, a pastor's training session with, uh, with a bunch of wonderful people. I sat there and, and, and considered the room and the hearts of the people in that room and the, the lives and the value of the ministries of the folks in that room, and, and I felt myself just choking up just thinking about what God was doing through the lives of those people as I sat there, but I'm telling you what, there's nothing more exciting to me as a father than when my kids say, come on, dad, let's go sit for a while. For every assignment in my life and everything that God has done, all the great things that he has done in my life, those little seasons of communion with my kids around the pool or with the barbecue or hot in the backyard smelling the cooking, See, that's what goes on in the heart of God. That's what was going on in the heart of God every day in the cool of the day. Now, I can't, I can't, uh, it doesn't say if that was the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. There's some folks who their time with God is first thing in the morning. There's some folks whose time with God is late in the afternoon. There's some folks whose time with God is sometimes in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon. But he came with an expectation to meet with them. He came with a desire to meet with them. The Bible says that that God said as as he thought in his own heart, and he said, let's make man in our image. And in our likeness, let's create someone like us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's create someone that we can gain an understanding of that can gain an understanding of God so that there can be sweet communion. That is the motivation behind prayer. That is the first motivation behind prayer. There's some folks in the earth that, that, that uh, have asked Jesus into their heart, but when you talk to them, they'll say, I just don't know what God is doing. I don't understand what he's trying to do in my life. I don't get it. I, God never, never says anything to me. I, I just don't get it. I try to understand what God... There's an element of communion that is missing in that experience. God is not hiding from you. The picture here was certainly God was not hiding from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were hiding from God. And when we approach God, if there's parts of our life that we're trying to hide from him, the communion is, is, uh, the connection, the communion is is destroyed when there's a part of us that we want to hide from God. How foolish that we would think that there is anything that we can hide from God anyway. Is there really anything that God can't see? No, there's things that he would like to talk to you about you don't want to talk about. There's things that that God comes and he says, I want to deal with this. And we go, "Mm, not right now, not right now. And that's the condition of many people whose whose lives are 
on the fence in a relationship with God. They got one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, and they're trying to figure out which way they, they're supposed to walk and how, how to go, but they're trying to figure it out on their own because every time God comes and says, I want to talk to you about that fence you're sitting on, oh, let's not talk about that right now. Because if I get my foot over here, there's some things I've got to change, some things I've got to, to give up maybe. There's some things that you'll, you'll want to talk, you'll want to deal with me about stuff I don't, I'm not ready to deal with. Well, will that affect your prayer life? Oh, yes. Did Adam and Eve's hiding from the Lord in the midst of the trees of the garden affect their communion with God? Yes. It's the last time, the only time in Scripture, the last time it talks about God coming to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He led them right out of the garden. So, God comes to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and there's a great picture there of his desire to commune with you. If he is no respecter of person and he wanted to commune daily with Adam and Eve, I assure you, I challenge you this morning. Listen, over the next few weeks as we talk about this, let me help you understand God desires to talk to you far more than you want to talk to him. God desires to spend time with you far more than you desire to spend time with him. I don't care how passionate you are about prayer. I don't care if you are the prayer warrior of prayer warriors within the kingdom. I don't care if you live every day uh, with this passion toward the presence of the Lord. However excited you are to see his face and to stand in his presence, I assure you he's more excited that you would come. Psalm 63. Turn there. We're going to look at this in the psalm. I am not going to get through this this week. I can see it already. Hang on, folks. Here we go. You ready for the ride? Psalm 63, uh, verse 1 says this. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. This gentleman who is writing this psalm, his time with God was in the morning. He had this desire, first thing out of his mouth when his feet hit the floor, he wanted it to be a relationship with God. He said, oh God, first thing in the morning when I get up, my first thought is about you. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek you first thing. My soul thirsts for you. Listen to the heart of this, this writer. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water to see your power and your glory so as I have seen uh, you in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. It's a good time to bless the Lord. Isn't while you live the right time to bless him? I was thinking, as I was getting dressed for church um, in my jeans and and all. There, there was a time in my life when, I, when the consideration I had to give to my wardrobe was what I would wear to a picnic. And that's no longer the case. Now I have to give consideration to my wardrobe when it's time to do a wedding or a funeral. But it occurred to me that at a funeral, it doesn't matter because the person doesn't argue with you about what you wore to their funeral. But at a wedding, they might be concerned if you own a suit or if you have a jacket or whatever. But it's wonderful that we can be relaxed in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> but but he said, that, that was just a dirt road. I don't know why. Um, 
But he said, Thy loving kindness is better than life, and my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I'll lift up my hands to thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. My soul shall be satisfied. My satisfaction is in you, O God. I think he had an understanding of the value of meeting with God. At least to some extent. He had an understanding of the priority of a relationship with God that allowed his prayer to be more than Oh, Lord, I got this to pay the rent. Help me, Jesus. Now, that's a valid need if that's your need. Please don't misunderstand me. But there is a deeper place to go in God than the level of need. So he says, My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and with fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee uh, with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul follows hard after thee. My right hand shall uphold me. Thy right hand shall uphold me. The psalmist realized that in, in, the, value, that, that in the priority of prayer, in the value of a relationship with God that is communicative, that is, that is a two-way relationship, where the, the psalmist was speaking to God and God was speaking to the psalmist. He was saying, in the midst of that, I realize that this, my, the satisfaction of my life comes out of that. For every believer who walks with Jesus and who, who's beginning to set a priority on the things of the Lord for their life, the way of the transgressor is hard. So a person who does not, who, who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, come into my life. But then they determine that they're not going to live in a communicative relationship with God. They determine that they're going to live with God as a distance, at a distance. The way of the transgressor is hard. That's the hardest life. It is easier to be a sinner and not know God or to be a believer that's all turned on to Jesus and all in, than to be the guy who says, God, come into my life, and then won't walk with him. That's the way of a transgressor. That's, that way is hard. You follow me? That way is hard. I really have a struggle. The evangelistic side of me in leading people to Jesus struggles with the idea of asking someone to pray the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into their life without absolutely pressing upon their mind the importance of having an intense relationship with him. Of having a full-on, all-in relationship with God. Because anything in between is hard. Say, I, I'm going to receive Jesus, get my fire insurance, so I don't go to hell, but I'm really not going to invest my life in God and in the kingdom. That's a hard road. That's a rough place to live, the way the transgressor is hard. Well, this, this psalmist understood, as he wrote this psalm, I, I will be sat, my soul will be satisfied, my mind, my will, my emotions, the internal part, the guy that's still here when the body is dead. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Uh, that, that is substance and supply. And uh, my mouth will praise thee with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. He knew his source. So his source was in a communicative relationship with God, a two-way 
relationship. There are so many people who've come to Jesus who don't have a face-to-face relationship with him. But the Bible says of Moses that God came and he met with him in the doorway of his tent. In other words, God came out, came and hung out at Moses' house. You know what? He hangs out at mine too. I love it. I love it when God comes and hangs out at my house. But you know when he hangs out at my house? When I invite him to. He comes by invitation. The Holy Spirit has never pushed his way into my house. And if I were as foolish as to close the door on him coming into my house right now, he wouldn't push his way in right now. He comes at my invitation. But he knows he has an open invitation to my house. You know those folks who come in and you're like, make stuff at home. There's, there's, there's stuff in the refrigerator if you want. There's, there's a comfortable chair. Make, make yourself at home. The Holy Spirit is like that in my house. Lord, come here. This is your dwelling place. Make yourself at home in this place. So he interrupts me, whatever I'm doing. If he wants to talk to me, I have had the Lord interrupt my sleep. Oh, you want to talk right now? Four in the, mo- four in the morning, Lord? And that's when you want to talk to me? He's like, yeah, because you wouldn't turn off Fox News at 11 o'clock last night. Oh, Okay. But he has an open invitation to come. Isaiah 56 and 7 says this. This is the challenge that we got to get in our understanding. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain. Isaiah 56 and 7. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them listen to this word. Joyful. Are you, did you hear that word? How many, pe- how many people who are supposed to know Jesus walking around this world depressed? How can you know Jesus and be depressed? I, I don't get that. He said, I'll bring you into my holy mountain and I'll make them joyful. But he didn't stop there. He said, in my house of prayer. Somebody comes to me and they're all depressed. One of the first things I want to ask him is, what's your prayer life like? I'm not, I'm not going to get into a big old discussion with you about the clinical aspects of depression right here. I'm going to ask you what your prayer life is like. Let's find out what God can do through a communicative relationship with him as it relates to the emotional struggles of our life. I guarantee you it's better than antidepressants. And I'm not, I'm not casting stones at anyone for what you're having to do in dealing with your life but I'm challenging you that he said, I will make you joyful in my house of prayer. That means you've got to go to the house of prayer to find the source of joy. There is a source of joy that is only present in the house of prayer. There is only joy that is, that is accessible to you in a life of prayer. There is joy that you can only get in seasons of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable to me upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house house of prayer for all people. I love that God is inclusive. I love he didn't say rich people. He didn't say poor people. 
He didn't say educated people. He didn't say broken people. He didn't say fixed people. You can't fix yourself anyway. He didn't say, he, he, he just said for all people. My house shall be called the house of prayer for all people. When, when um, Solomon dedicated the temple, he prayed over the temple that it would be a place that when people were in captivity or when they were in trouble or when they were in famine or when they were in whatever, that they would look, even if they weren't in, even if they weren't in the land, if they would just turn their face toward the temple and pray that God would hear their prayer. If they just turn in the... He, say, he prayed and he said, Lord, just let him turn in the direction of the temple. But you know what? Before he finished praying that prayer, he said, and Lord, when the stranger comes, somebody who don't know you, someone will reprobate, that, that you folks think, oh, God, never get a hold of that guy. When the stranger comes, and he turns his face toward this place, let him find your presence. Let even the stranger, the least likely to know God, let that least likely to know God, God, be able to find your presence. House of prayer. So the, the Lord said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Then we know the story of Daniel. We, we, don't, we won't turn there this morning. In Daniel chapter 6, though, if you read this, that, that Daniel, the, the law was passed that Daniel couldn't pray and uh, couldn't uh, couldn't spend time in the presence of the Lord. You weren't supposed to bow your knee to any other uh, other than the king of Babylon. And the king says, everybody's going to worship me for a while, at least for 30 days. And Daniel said, oh, no, I'm not. You know what the Bible says? And Daniel got himself in the lion's den because it says in the last part of that verse, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he always did. It was the pattern of his life, his prayer. His prayer. He said, as he, he, he just, somebody passed the law, I can't pray? Oh, well, too bad for them because I always pray. Somebody passed the law, I can't gather with you folks and worship? Oh, too bad. I'm going to gather with you and worship anyway. If you'll come, I'll be here. Because that's my pattern of life. No law is going to take from me the ability to worship God. If we can't gather in a public place, we'll do like they do in other countries. We'll gather in a private place. I'll rip those rooms out of my garage so that, so that my garage is a big open room again so we can all gather in there. But we're going to gather and pray. We're going to worship. I think people would come to prayer more if they'd pass a law against it than they do now. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, did I say that? Jesus said... In Mark chapter 11 and verse 17, he taught them, saying unto them, Is it not written, he quoted this verse we just read back here in Isaiah, My house shall be called, uh, uh, shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. That means that in every nation, it was in the heart of God, that in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, that there would be access to God through prayer. God's God's all-inclusive. It doesn't matter what country you came from. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter what educational uh, achievements you were able to make in life. It, it, It only matters that God says, come, commune with me. Come and come and talk to me a little while. Come and sit a while. I hear the Holy Spirit. It is not complicated. The Holy Spirit is saying to the people of God, come and sit with me a while. Come and sit with me. It's not complicated. Some of y'all do that at your desk. Some of you do it while you're driving down the road. 
But I, I challenge you. We, we just received a challenge from the Lord in our house. We, I, I have a chair in my living room. Everybody wants to sit there now. I've prayed in it long enough that everybody likes to sit there. Uh, there's a great presence of the Lord in that little space. But the Lord was speaking to our hearts, and Laura and I kind of both received the same thing at the same time. The Lord said, make a place for me. really wasn't about creating a physical place. We even considered that. But it wasn't about creating a physical place. It was about setting a priority in life for a new place for God, a broader place for the Lord to dwell. And so we, we just have these little, uh, within the, the framework of our home, uh, sometimes I go in the backyard with my coffee in the morning. I used to a lot before the dog was out there. Go in the, in the backyard, sit with my coffee in the morning, and then there's my chair in the living room, and I have a comfortable chair in the office, and it's just a place that I sometimes on Sunday morning I go in the office and I shut the door, and, and the Lord and I are alone in there for a, a time. And, and then uh, we just put a little seating area in the front of our house. So now in the evening when, when uh, the sun is over the back of our house and it's too hot out there, we just go out in the front, sit out there outside and in the shade and listen to the voice of the Lord in, a qui- in quietness. Because he just wants you to make place for him. Just, just make places within the framework of your life where you and God sit together for a while. Just make places in the framework of your life. Sometimes it's not like it's an hour or two long. Now my four in the morning, two in the morning sessions with God, sometimes those are two or three hours long. He doesn't usually wake me up and it's only ten minutes. But in those times when I say, Lord, can we sit together for a while? Sometimes it's just five minutes. Sometimes it's just ten minutes. Just pulling yourself aside. This generation has forgotten the value of solitude and silence. We, we really have. We've, we've so overstimulated this generation that they're uncomfortable with solitude and with silence. But God loves solitude. That's why in the Old Testament there was a picture of the most holy place, the, the, where the altar, uh, um, where the Ark of the Covenant is, that only the priests could go in. It was just God and Him, one man and God. The picture is that you come to the place in your life where no matter what's going on around you, there is a place that you go where it's just you and God. The depth of the relationship that you have with Jesus is never going to happen in the, in the context of corporate prayer, in the context of corporate intercession. All of those things are wonderful and important, have their place. But until you can get your relationship to the place that it's you and God alone, in communion together, your relationship with him will not deepen at the level that it needs to deepen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus taught them, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He reminded those religious leaders that were robbing the people. When Jesus said that, he was purging the temple. Because what had happened in the context of the temple, and we'll just close here and we'll pick this up next week. What had happened in the context of the temple was that religious leaders, because they had all these rules and regulations about, about their offering and about their, their sacrifice and all this, the religious leaders, some guy would come with his, little, with his little dove to offer his sacrifice or with his little lamb. 
It was supposed to be the best, the firstborn, the spotless lamb. And some guy would come, some poor man would come, and he had his little lamb, and it was the only little lamb he had. And he came to offer it before God. And that crooked priest would sit there and assess that, and he would go, oh, I see a blemish. So here's what we'll do. Your lamb is not acceptable. You have to buy one from me. That's what they were doing. And Jesus took the whip, and he tanned their hides. He let them have it. He turned over their tables. He threw their money all over the floor. And he said, there's only supposed to be one priority in this place. My house should be called a house of prayer. The one thing that we as believers must have as a priority in our life regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what the challenges of our life are, regardless of what the good news or the bad news or the difficulties or what the newspaper says or whatever, there's one priority that must be present above all others. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and his house is to be called the house of prayer. So I want to challenge you over the next few weeks. We'll finish this, this session the priority of prayer next week will go further into scripture. There's a few more things I want to share with you from the scripture. And then we're going to get into the prayer life of Jesus and talk about why he prayed and how he prayed and when he chose to pray. There's some unique times that Jesus chose to go and pray. And you're going to be surprised at what you find in the life of Jesus. But I want you over the next two weeks, for, starting today, for the next two weeks, as we'll, have this, we'll, we'll continue this discussion next week. And over the next two weeks, would you say, Lord, work a new priority in me related to my communion with you? Would you begin to work a new priority in me? If you, if you do that, he might challenge you to come to prayer on Saturday night. But I assure you that if you do that, what, what you're saying to the Lord is, Lord, I'm making myself available for you to commune with me, and he's going to challenge you to make a place for him in the, in the framework of your life. Everybody has a little corner in their house that needs to be their meeting place with God. I don't care if that's around your dining room table or if that's over in some little corner where you create a seating area and you put a little table to hold your Bible. I used to love it. There was, there was some folks that I grew up with, some elders that were, that were pillars in the church and we'd go to their house and always there was their comfortable chair and a little table and the biggest old Bible and that was their spot and God came there God came there would you create a spot in your life for God to come I want to challenge you Jesus had a rock that he knelt at in the garden. Janet has a whole garden she meets God at in her backyard. Sometimes even when it's raining, she goes out there to meet God. She's a little bench out there she sits on. There's a spot in your life for God. He wants to come and meet you there. Did you figure out where that is? In the, in the Bible, they said, go into your closet. I have a walk-in closet. I've prayed in there. Go into your closet. It's your secret place. Find your hiding place with God. I want to challenge you over the next few weeks that we do that. Would you stand together?